Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. We're called to build people up, right? God will build you up from the ashes. One of God's greatest works, you guys, is the work of restoration. Restoring, God will take the most broken life and restore it to brand new. And if we walk closely with the Lord, we get to be a part of God doing it through us. Like God will use your mouth and your hands and your feet and your love for people and your knowledge of the word and your relationships. God will, through you, God will come through you and help take a person's life that was falling apart and see it put back together right if you let You are called to build others up. In today's message from Pastor Bill, he shares with you the importance of encouragement. God's always in the business of restoration. He can take even the most broken of lives and have them restored. He exchanges ashes for beauty. Pastor Bill explains that God allows you to partner with him in restoring others. Your kind words, prayers, and encouragement helps others, and encouragement helps others to be made well. Never take for granted what a smile or an encouraging word can do. Now here's Pastor Bill in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 2 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. The church discipline didn't just come from the church leadership. He says it was inflicted by the whole body. How does that work? How, how are we all a part of church discipline? Well, in that scenario there, back in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul told them that they need to put him out. But later on in 1 Corinthians 5, I'm going to read verses 9 through 11. Paul's kind of following up. 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 11, Paul says, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of the world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters, since then you would have to go out of the world. Paul says, I'm not talking about non-believers. If you got friends that don't know the Lord, then spend time with them. Be a witness to them. They need your light to shine for them. So I'm not talking about non-believers. Paul says, I'm talking about people that are calling themselves Christians. So then in verse 11, he says, but now I've written to you not to keep company with anyone. And the phrase, the key phrase is named a brother. Anyone that claims to be a Christian that's living this way who is sexually immoral, covetous, an idolater, reviler, somebody fighting everybody, a drunkard, or an extortioner. He says, then not even to eat with such a person. Here's the deal. Let's say someone is living in one of those lifestyles, just open, rampant rebellion, sin. Not someone struggling with sin. Everybody here struggles with sin. And everybody that comes into a church is going to be struggling with sin. We're not talking about the person that says, man, I'm, I'm battling with alcohol. I'm really trying to get, kick this thing, but I'm having a hard time. We're not talking about the person that's struggling with sexual sin. I'm battling with this thing, but I keep falling, man. I, I need prayer. I need help. I need strength. We're not talking about that person. We're talking about the person that says, I know this is not the will of God. I see what the verses in the Bible say, but I'm going to do what I do. Bam. Not trying. No effort. I'm not, I'm not repenting. I'm not changing. I'm going to just be here doing what I do. Accept me. That's the person we're talking about. The person that is in rebellion and opposition. So that person, and I want you to note a couple of things, right? Paul was very nice because in chapter five of first Corinthians in here, they don't name him. They didn't say the guy's name. He'd be written down for all of Remember that guy, Julius, in uh, in 1 Corinthians 5, and they talk about him again. He just says, for such a man. That's very nice. They leave him anonymous. They're not blasting him out. Why? Because they love him, right? He does. He, did, he eventually gets right with God as well, but they're not blasting out his name. Some, some people in the scriptures, we got their name. We got Alexander the coppersmith. Paul was like, I hope he get what he got coming. You know, <laughs> he, he did me much harm. You know, you got some people's names. Not this guy. Hey, such a one. And we don't want the punishment to be too, too severe. It's been inflicted by everybody. How's that work? Well, 
Again, that verse in 1 Corinthians 5, he says, if, you, if someone's living that way, he says, don't even eat with them. And again, that sounds like, what? Somebody could be living, and again, it's, it's someone named a Christian. This is someone that says, hey, I'm a Christian. Why are you living like that, bro? I, you know, I don't care. I just do what I do, man. You know, Paul says, then you need to withdraw fellowship. Why? Are they in fellowship with God living like that? No. Sometimes people get the false security that they're right with God as, as they hang out with the body. There was a situation when I did youth ministry at another church. There was a young adult group and I went on a Thursday night to teach. And there was a guy in the group hanging out with all the girls, a very, very effeminate. And he had rings and wristlets and stuff like that. And I was just observing him like, you know, it, it just it just I mean, it's the fellows are here. He's just hanging out with them. And his hair was flipped down. It was dyed red in the front. I'm like. It was odd to me. I'm like, we, you know, we at church. I'm like, well, maybe he's coming to, you know, they're witnessing to him. So I hung out and eating. I'm like, how long has he been around? You know, oh, he's been here for months, you know, I'm, you know, pushing a year or whatever. I'm like, okay, anybody chop it up with him? Any of the guys, leaders? I'm asking the leaders, you guys talk to him? Like, what's his situation? You know? And so I talked to him and openly, openly gay. Not, I'm not repenting. Just, you know, I, I like coming here. Everybody's nice. It's great. He's going to go home with his with his guy and he goes out. And, you know, it, in in a lot of ways, too, it's, there was almost this open door for other people battling and struggling with this. But he was just openly living this way. And I'm like, is that right? Like, is this a good church? Is this a good thing that we're doing? And they felt like, you know, we're loving him and we're accepting him. And it was a good thing. I would say I don't think it's a good thing. I think he feels like he's OK with God. Because he's okay with you guys. And that's exactly what he told me. He's like, I know God accepts me and God, they accept me and he accepts me. And, you know, so then I'm not worried about anybody that doesn't accept what I'm doing. And so anybody that would speak against it, I'm not worried about you or you because I'm accepted. And so I challenged him with 1 Corinthians 5. I'm like, y'all should, you, you should lovingly share the truth with him. Not okay. Break fellowship. A few months after, they, and they did this, by the way. A few months later, this individual it was through the broken fellowship that he came to a place of repentance. It was through the broken fellowship. He said, man, like just like just the fact that you guys, I know you guys love me. They still, I said, still make sure he knows you love him. It's not, this is not a, we're not dogging him out, but let him know like, man, this is, you can't do that. You can't do both. And it was through that, that he got broken. He ended up in counseling. I actually met with him as part of the counseling, found out where this began in his past. He had been abused himself um, and he needed to be ministered to himself. But I watched God do a real work, right? A real work so this man could acknowledge what he was doing was wrong, uh, repent. He was, that would be his battle. He'll struggle with that. But, but God would forgive him and, and change him and transform his life. That was better than accepting him and leaving him where he was and, and, and letting him say he dies like that. He dies thinking he's okay with God when he's not. That's messed up. We don't want to do that to people. And even if people feel like it's unloving, we don't want to do that to people. I don't want to let somebody, I want to mislead them when they stand before God one day and they're like, no, my pastor told me I was cool. No, Bill told me I was at church. He said that this was OK. And it's like, no, nah, it's, it's not OK. It's wrong. You know, you, you won't make it like this. And so I think um, when it says that, again, it was a whole body. He said that the punishment which was inflicted by the majority is sufficient for such a man. Everybody was a part of it. So that's where the church can be divided. This is what happens today. Uh, a church that will employ this sort of discipline, you'll become the bad guy church. Because there's a church up the street that they they won't that they weren't employed the same discipline, and so you'll become legalistic and and harsh and unloving, and that's unfortunate that that's the case. Uh, doesn't mean that we change what we do, 
And within the church, you got two dynamics. Anybody seen a, a very there are very legalistic, harsh, you know, type churches that are unloving and super, you know, super, super, you know, just, you know, you 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 gonna wear, you know, just there are churches on this side of the equation where you can't do anything right. You know, just you're just not holy enough. You wore makeup, mm. questionable, questionable behavior, you know. Um, a woman in pants, mm, you know, just you name it on and on, all these rules that God don't have. So legalism is this. When we create rules that are not God's rules and hold you to them, that's legalism. All right? Legalist, that's legalistic. I may have opinions that are my opinions, but if I stick my opinions on you, that's legalism. I'm only to hold myself to God's word and hold other people to God's word. I can't go beyond it. So I can't find a verse that says a woman can't paint her face. You know, my pastor, you say, if the house needs painting, paint it, you know, um, nothing wrong with, you know, makeup and, you know, whatever, you know, if a woman in pants or guys with, you know, there are things that I, it's not in the Bible. I, I can't hold you to it. You know, it's not in there. It would be legalism. You know, I was at I did youth ministry. So something that would come up all the time. Oh, it's like a constant come up tattoos and, and earrings and piercings, you know, because I had kids that wanted to get them and I had parents that didn't want them to get them. And I was always, you know, I have parents bringing their kids to me. Tell him that it's a sin. And I'm like, tell him what's a sin. You know, he wants to go get his ear pierced and he wants to get I'm like, it's, it's I'm so sorry. I can't tell him that. I'm like, I'll tell him this, that you right now you are a, a minor. You live in mom and dad's house. The Bible says honor your mother and father, obey them. So for you, it would be a sin to go disobey your mom. But when he grows up and leaves. It's always, I mean, I can't tell them that, ma'am. You know, uh, the Bible says somewhere to tattoo your body is, no, it's in Leviticus 19. Go read it. And read it in context. It's tattooing your body for the dead. In the same verse, it says you can't edge up your hair or your beard. So if, if you got to edge up a fresh beard, it's the same context. You know, they were doing all those things in the worship of the dead. So I can't tell them that a tattoo would be a sin. Be, pray about what you're going to be permanent so you can put something stupid on you. But I can't. That would be legalism. Even if I don't like them, it would be legalism to say, well, since I don't like it, I want to make it a I want to make it a sin for you to do it. That's where legalism comes from. We don't want to be that. Right. But we don't want to be so trying to we don't want to try to be so loving that we negotiate God's truth. Because over here, that's wrong. I'm, I'm upholding beyond what God wants. We, we barely can keep God's word. Amen. Don't nobody need no extra. Just this is hard enough to keep what is there. So when you come over here, I at least need to be saying, but this is God to give a standard and we're going to stand and hold up that standard. Amen? Amen. And so the standard lets me know where I, where I stand, where I fall. You know, so I can't move it. I can't adjust it and call that loving. And so so moving on, verse seven, Paul says, so. So that on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive and comfort him, least perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. So now the issue is that the person repented, but the Corinthian church hasn't received him back. So to the question, what do we do to the person that's been corrected, disciplined, but now they repented? What do we do with them then? We need to, we need to receive them, right? What does God do when you repent of your sins? Forgives you. Does he forgive you a little bit or all the way? All the way, way, right? Washes away your sins far as the east is from the west. So when somebody repents, what's the church need to do? Receive them completely. Do we receive them with one eye open? Do we receive them like you can come back, but you like on probation. You got to sit in the, we got a probationary sitting area where you sit and we make sure you don't still do that sin that you was doing when we kicked you out. You know, we we got an eye on you. No, if you forgive them, you say, come on back. You know, you're back. 
Done. You're forgiven. That's forgiveness. Forgiveness is a beautiful thing when you need it and receive it. God's forgiveness is complete. He just washed away your sins. They're gone. Does God bring them back up and throw it in your face? No. It's why we love it. It's just, I'm forgiven. I'm free. God says, now when someone repents, you need to be able to do that for them. And I will admit that with certain things that I, I've struggled over the years. There have been certain things where that was a challenge to do. You know, there was an instance um, where in doing youth ministry, there was a young man that I had in the youth ministry and he had been molested by his own father uh, over a course of years. His father ended up being in prison for it. The mom and dad were still together. She had forgiven him. Son, I'm, I'm ministering to this kid that's just all jacked up, hurting, crushed. So over time, I, I, I developed animosity toward this kid's dad in my own heart. I'm telling this kid, he's crying, he's confused, he's hurting. And I'm like, man, how could you do that? Your dad, and I got all this stuff stirring up in me. And I remember one day his mom called and his dad had been put into a, a, a like a halfway house situation where we live, around where we live. And she said, I wondered if you would be willing to go talk to him. You know, he, he had recently made a commitment to the Lord and, you know, he wanted to be talked to. They would allow pastors to go in and she asked if I would go. Um, now, if I tell you the truth, when she asked me, um, you know, I only said yes because I was a pastor and it felt like I had to. You know, it was like, sure, sure, I'll, sure, I'll go and pray or share. But my heart was was really bad, even though she said, yeah, you know, he made a commitment. I'm like, I bet he did make a commitment to the Lord. You know, I I had a bad attitude about it. And I remember in going just having to pray and the Lord deal with me. But I remember I got to the little place and sat down with this man and I, I'm looking at a broken, broken, broken man, broken. He was sorry. He had really messed up. Say, you know, he say he cries. I mean, it happened to him. His dad did this to him. He said he swore he would break this cycle, but he somehow he let it happen through him. And, and I'm sitting there looking at a guy and I'm thinking like, man, he's, I don't know anything about that. I didn't have that happen to me. I don't know what that struggle that brings. But I'm looking at a man that looks like he's broken. He's sorry. And society is never going to let him off the hook for that. But the Lord was like, but but I do. And, and as a representative of me, like, do you can you can you love this man? And, and it was a challenge. But, you know, I, I was I, I obeyed. I did. I did what I was supposed to do. Um, in time, I watched this guy back with his wife. They end up doing a whole ministry on restoring marriages. You know, you, you listen to their testimonies like God could put that back together. I mean, you hear other couples that we've been fighting like, you know, you hear what they went through and you're like, if God could restore that, you know, what can't he fix? You know, what can't he heal? And they've been going around and sharing and different things like that. I, you know, as much as I wanted to struggle with it, that man was forgiven and is forgiven. And it's off the hook. And so we have to carry that, too. Right. On the front end, I got to be willing to do the difficult thing. Challenge, correct, rebuke, exhort and even discipline. But on the back end, when someone says, hey, I, I, I get it now and I've repented and I'm sorry. Paul says you guys need to two things. You need to forgive them and, and beyond forgiving them, comfort them. Right. You're going to actively bring them in. When you talk about comfort, like they need to be ministered to now. They they've been out there Satan and whooped them up and beat them up. And now now they're back. And as, as a representative of me, as my hands and feet as the church, receive them back, forgive them and comfort them, minister to them. That's what we get to do. That's the that's what we get to do as as a church. We get to minister to them. And so moving on, he says in verse um, eight, he says, therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love for him. So he said, I also want you to reaffirm that you love him. Right. He's feeling pretty unloved and maybe kicked out and beat down. Paul said, I want you to reaffirm that you love him. 
And you can't fake that, right? I can't be, it can't be that phony church stuff. God bless you. We, uh, we love you, you know, at a distance. But he said, man, make sure when they come back that they're loved on, that the church is receiving them. That means our hearts got to be right. We got to be in a place to be able to do that. When God sends broken people here, God, we, we're going to love them in your name. You know, we're going to love broken people. Broken from what? Broken from whatever. Doesn't really matter. If it doesn't matter to God what our past and our sins were when they were forgiven and washed, then it can't matter to me what your particular sins were. My sins in particular, your sins in particular were a, a byproduct of the fact that we weren't right with God. So my sins led me down one path. Your sins may have led you down another path and his or her sins led them down. That's fine. When we come to Christ, we're all forgiven. And as a church, I can't look at you through the lens of where your sin took you. I got to look at you through the lens of God. Like, man, you're forgiven now. What a testimony. What a testament to the goodness of God that he would forgive you, 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 and you for all that different stuff that we've been doing. What, what a, what, how, how does that, that glorifies him? So Paul says, I want you to reaffirm your love for him. That in the same way I wanted him to experience the separation by you pulling back, I want them to experience the love through your extending love to this individual. And then verse nine, for to this end, I also wrote, that I might put you to the test, whether you are obedient in all things. So Paul had told them in 1 Corinthians 5 to, to put this man out, and they obeyed. And Paul said, now I will also put you to the test that you would do this, that you'd receive him back, love him, and, and, and have him back in the fellowship. Verse 10, now whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if it, indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. Paul just letting them off. Just like I'm asking you to forgive, I've also forgiven them uh, for what they've done. Last thing in verse 11, least Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Interesting thing here, he says, let, let Satan take advantage of you. That word, take advantage, this is what it means. It, it's, uh, it means, has the idea of cheating someone out of something that belongs to them. Here's the idea, Paul says, don't let them, don't let Satan take advantage of you in this, in this way. Don't let him use you to beat somebody else down. Right? This person that's been in sin, they've been separated from God, now they're sorry and they come back. Don't be an instrument of the devil in making that person feel like they can't get right. Right? You just you you hold them back cuz that's what Satan does. You get someone that comes out of sin, they feel bad about what they were. You come out of darkness into the light, and you say, "Man, anybody that when you first get saved, you start looking at what you were doing, you're like, "Man, I was like, why did I do all those things? You know, what was wrong with me? You, you, you feel bad about what you did. Satan is like, how could you? You're terrible. The Bible says Satan is the accuser of the brethren. And he wants people to be condemned and beat down because condemned people give up. They just say, man, I can't, I can't do this. I'm not right. I'm, I'm, I'll never be good enough. And God says, don't, don't let Satan take advantage of you because we're not ignorant of his devices. That's what he will do to people. He will, Satan will lead a person to sin then make them feel so disgusted about their sin that they'd be ready to kill themselves. That's what Satan does. He did it to Judas, right? Satan was the one that filled Judas' heart to betray the Lord and do what he did. Then after he did it, Satan was the one that led him out to kill himself. He just, you know, Satan was the one that tricked Eve into eating the fruit. And as soon as she ate it, he was gone. Let her, let her feel bad all by herself, right? That's what he does. And so God said, don't let Satan use you. Don't let him take advantage of you. God doesn't want me to be an instrument of the devil to beat anybody down. I'm, I'm on the build you up ministry. Now, it might be correcting this person that's in rebellion and sin. But on the flip side, said we're not ignorant of Satan's devices. He would love to stomp someone down. When someone's, if there's any sense in which 
This person is trying to turn. God says, you make sure you come underneath and encourage and build them. Don't be an instrument of the devil. Don't be his spokesman. Don't discourage someone that's trying to get right with the Lord. You encourage them. You build them. You, you, you make sure if you help them what they need help with. You give them scriptures. You give them prayer. You do everything you can do to see that person built up to health. Amen. And that's what I think Paul's talking about when he says, look, don't let Satan take advantage because we're not ignorant of his devices. His, his, his goal is to just smash people to nothing. We're called to build people up, right? God will build you up from the ashes. One of God's greatest works, you guys, is the work of restoration, restoring. God will take the most broken life and restore it to brand new. And if we walk closely with the Lord, we get to be a part of God doing it through us. Right. God will use your mouth and your hands and your feet and your love for people and your knowledge of the word and your relationships. God will through you. God will come through you and help take a person's life that was falling apart and see it put back together. Right. If you let them. just like Satan will use a person to beat people down and talk about them and make them feel like nothing. He'll do that if people let him. Well, just like Satan will do that. God will take us that let him and he'll use us to just build people back up. And they'll be discouraged and you come along and encourage them when they're discouraged. Now, next thing you know, they're encouraged again. You know, and you just get to help build them up. And how cool is that, that we get to be a part of seeing people's lives built up? God does the important work. He does the forgiving. He gives the spiritual strength. He does the soul restoration. But we get to have a hand in it. We get to be a part of it if we'll yield ourselves to him. Amen. And so the goal of this little section here, Paul is following up with the previous correction and just, I guess, to answer the question that we open with, obviously, yes, the purpose of church discipline is to see lives that were not right made right, to see people that were lost, that were lost in sin, lost in rebellion. The goal of church discipline is to see people that are not right made right, see people come to spiritual health. Um, are there instances where people would be removed from a local church? Absolutely. I'm someone that's in unrepentant rebellion. Any, not someone struggling with sin. I expect that I don't think we'll ever gather and not have people here struggling with sin. That's just the nature of we're, we're going to struggle as one of the signs of spiritual life is that we struggle with things. When I wasn't saved, I didn't struggle with sin. I just did it. I actually felt good about it. So it was not a struggle. It's when we get born again that now becomes a struggle. And we help each other that when we're struggling. We, we, we stand with one another in a struggle. That's, that's part of the spiritual battle. We're saying someone that's obstinate. Look, I'm not struggling with it, not battling with it. You know, I'm just going to do what I do. And bam, take that. That's the person that we would say, you got to do that out there. You know, like I told you guys, the guy at the gym with the McDonald's. But each of each of McDonald's at McDonald's in, you know, quit bringing it up in the gym, jacking people up. So but when that person repents and turns, it is our agenda and objective that just like God forgives them, we forgive them. Just like God will restore them, we get to be a help of seeing them restored. So when a person repents, we want to forgive them. We want to comfort them and we want to want to be a part of, of building them up. We want to reaffirm our love to them as well, that sinners should be they, they should be able to come into the presence of a real church and feel loved. Genuine love, not not some gooey. We love everybody. No, we love you, bro. We care about we care about your soul and we're, we're loving on you. We're, people are going to spend time with you and we're going to walk you through the word. We're going to love you for real. We want to see you get to a real place of health. And when you get right, you'll be able to help somebody else. You'll know what it's like. That's what God would have us do. And so, so church discipline is important. Uh, one of the things that doesn't come up a lot, you know, people don't talk about it a lot. One of the benefits of going through the Bible the way we do every chapter and every verse is we come across these sort of things. So we want to honor God and how we handle things that come up in our midst. And so my encouragement to all of you is that you would allow yourself to be 
hands and feet and mouthpiece of the Lord, speaking truth where needed, challenging people where needed, and, and absolutely loving and, and seeing people restored as God would make us able to do so. Thanks for joining us here on The Transforming Word. Pastor Bill Buffington has been teaching through the book of 2 Corinthians. This letter was written by Paul to the Corinthians sometime after he had lived in Corinth. He had an intimate knowledge of the church there. So Paul felt led to write another letter to these people, expressing some personal things that he learned on his journey and in his ministry. It would seem that some in the Corinthian church criticized Paul's leadership, and so he found it necessary to defend himself to this church. Communicating this type of message is something that's beneficial at times when you feel misunderstood or misrepresented. Any one of us can face those situations at times too, and so discussing it with the other party is useful. We're so glad you tuned into A Transforming Word, and we'd love to meet you. If you're in the Inglewood area, come join us this weekend for church. We meet at Calvary Inglewood every Sunday and Wednesday, and you can get more information on our website, calvaryinglewood.org. You can always call or text us, too, for more information, 310-245-4811. Again, that's 310-245-4811. If you're looking for more resources or ways to connect with us, we're on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Just look for the links on our website, calvaryinglewood.org. That's all we have time for today. Join us next time for another edition of A Transforming Word.